Good afternoon, my name is Sky, and welcome to Beneath the Frozen Sea. I hope you're having a wonderful summer so far. We only really have a couple of topics to discuss coming up regarding Seattle and Seattle hockey. Otherwise, we've got the draft coming up, which is always fun. And with free agency right after that, we've got all sorts of intrigue and rumor starting to spread. Who's going to stay? Who's going to leave? Ooh. Humorously, none of these rumors seem to have really reached Seattle yet, as it seems everything is hunky-dory for Ron Francis and company. There are only really two big UFAs for the Kraken this year, and frankly, I think we can all agree that Martin Jones and Carson Soucy are decent hockey players, but maybe not critical re-signs. Anyway, we gotta start with some bad news. Unfortunately, the Seattle Thunderbirds were not able to capture their first Memorial Cup as they were blanked, by the Quebec Remparts in a very good game. The Quebec Remparts just had a little more gas in the tank. Um, they definitely tried their patented third period comeback, but I just don't know if there is a point where, you know, that kind of thing can fall apart. And in that particular game in a round robin single elimination tournament, you kind of have to play your best hockey every game. And the Thunderbirds just weren't able to conjure that. It's unfortunate, but they're a successful team. They're a really good team right now. So, I expect to see them back in the Memorial Cup very soon. Despite the disappointment, I congratulate them on a very successful season, and I can't wait to see them back in the WHL Championship next year. But while the Thunderbirds may be out of it, the Firebirds are not just in the AHL Calder Cup Finals, they're two wins away from winning the whole dang thing in their first season. Games one and two were absolute blowouts. I was game one finishing five to nothing with goals from Ty Cartier, Vili Petman, Andrew Podorowski, Jesper Froden, and Alex True. And game two being a four nothing beatdown with Austin Paganski, Riker Evans, Cam Hughes, and Jesper Froden getting on the board again. Shane Wright had the primary assist on Austin Paganski's goal. And Joey Decord, the goalie was there to give a better outlet pass than most NHL defensemen can get to Cam Hughes on his near end of the second period tally. Of course, I'm not celebrating yet. Hershey did start slow against the Rochester Americans, but once they got going, their momentum was nearly impossible to stop. Um, that said, I think that the Firebirds are a little better of a team than the Americans are. They just gotta take these games in Hershey seriously, because that's a tough barn to play in regardless of whether or not it's a regular season game or a playoff game. So for right now, it's just gotta be gut check time, tune out the noise, and finish this off. Come home with a Calder. Also, man, I really gotta give Joey Decord all the accolades that I can. Um, I don't quite know if the, what the goaltending award is in the AHL, but he has to win it at this point. He has been an absolute performer. He has been an MVP for this team. And even with as difficult as playing the Hershey Bears can be, he's doing it with aplomb. He is absolutely taking it to them. And I couldn't be happier for him. He is going to make a fantastic backup or, you know, 1A, 1B situation in Seattle next year. I'm convinced that this is his job to lose. Speaking of future and past NHL talent, the NHL playoffs are probably going to be over on Tuesday. You never know. You never know. But the Florida Panthers uh, definitely look like they have their backs up against the wall. They're down 3-1 in the series, and their last game, Game 4, did not look good. Uh, they really did a lot of uh, fight for pride sort of deal where they tried to make it look like they weren't getting completely blown up and they weren't completely lifeless. 
which only serves to prove that you're frustrated and then you're running out of ideas. At least that's personally how I take that. I'm very not impressed by stuff like that in a blowout or when you're struggling to get your offense going. It just makes it look like you're not serious. The Vegas Golden Knights, as much as I really don't like them, are kind of like a xenomorph in that way. They are pure in function, pure in form, and yes, they want to kill you and suck out your innards and whatever. That's what they do. I cannot fault them for being that. They showed up, proved that not only could they play the, you know, let's call it extracurricular game better than Florida can, they can play hockey better than Florida can. And from a pure aesthetic point of view, I think it's very interesting to watch. Not sure how I feel about them winning it, though. <laughs> uh, I, I like a lot of their players individually. It's just the minute they put on that gold jersey, it's just... Man, there's something about them Golden Knights that just gets my blood boiling. Maybe it's the lack of wins. Who knows? Anyway, all-important game five. That's going to be at 5 p.m. PT. It's going to be a pretty good game. We'll see if Florida can actually make this a series or if the Vegas Golden Knights can go on ahead and raise their first Stanley Cup. God, I wish that were us. Around the NHL, it looks like it's mostly just executive news, which again, we've described as boring. It turns out the Ottawa Senators' bid for ownership has actually been a giant mess the whole time. Don't know why the NHL hasn't jumped in on that. Seems like uh, there's all sorts of individual uh, taxes and fees that need to be paid in, or at least the family wants them to pay in on, and shockingly, it doesn't seem like anyone wants to pay those taxes and fees because they were not part of the initial uh, pitch, as it turns out. I would be mad about this kind of thing, but Arizona has been doing this for like 20-something years, so get good, Canada. We've been dealing with this for almost two decades. The Calgary Flames named their assistant coach Ryan Huska as their head coach after a fairly quiet search. Seems like their entire organizational philosophy right now is to not cause nearly as much uh, consternation and concern as the team out east has. Who knows how that goes for them? Personally, I hope it goes less well than it does for the Kraken. But it seems like everyone out there kind of didn't care for Daryl Sutter being a grumpy old man, so hopefully this guy is a, a lighter-toned individual. In overall league business news, it seems like hockey-related revenue is up, but the cap may not go up any more than a million dollars this year, according to Gary Bettman. Of course, this isn't really much of an issue for the Kraken, who have about 20 million in cap space. This is a big deal, however, for all the teams that are basically pressed up against the cap, which is uh, just about most of them. You have to go down 17 spots on Cap Friendly before you get to your first team with double digits in Cap Space. So we should be thankful that Ron Francis has been able to keep that cushion together. And who knows, this might be a buyer's market for Seattle. They will of course have to do some careful shopping in the UFA market, it's looking pretty slim. Uh, there are some names out there, but I don't think that they should be uh, priorities for the Kraken. If they get anything on the back end, I'd probably want someone like Dmitry Orlov who is very, very good and could very easily slide into Karsten Susi's role. As for looking for four checkers and forwards, I think you should probably go on the trade wire to try and find somebody. It's looking like a pretty weak UFA class, and you can do better with trades right now. You can always do better with trades right now. As for goalies, on the other hand, it is a very interesting market for goalies right now because current Anaheim Ducks netminder John Gibson may be on his way out after discussing that he may not want to be part of a rebuild anymore, has significant interest brewing around him, and Connor Hellebuck just recently announced that he was not going to explore re-signing with the Winnipeg Jets, meaning that, yeah, he is technically on the market. 
Both are extremely tempting with very good pedigrees, but I feel like this is something that the Kraken should just sort of ignore. Because number one, these will be expensive asks for anybody. John Gibson's owed $6.4 million for the next four years. He's a bit older than Philip Grubauer, and you'd have to be trading with the Ducks, who are an in-division opponent, as well as a team on the rebuild, so they're gonna want a lot of stuff for John Gibson that I'm frankly not sure he's worth. You probably need to keep those picks and all that cap space. And on the other hand, Connor Hellebuck is owed 6.166 and is desperately trying to leave a rapidly toxifying situation. Will probably require the trading team to give up significant assets so that the Winnipeg Jets can remain competitive. And personally, I am morally opposed to the Winnipeg Jets as they are currently constructed with the current leadership core that they have being competitive. They need to be rapidly shaken out of the idea that this can work or have their come to divinity moment and start rebuilding. The fans did not wait all of those years for this team to come back to just be a tire fire. And to finish things off on a lighter tone, the draft is coming up. I've got some draft content coming down the pipeline for you over at DavyJonesLockerRoom.com. And I want to give a highlight to a couple of the players that could be picked by the Kraken at 20th overall. The first one I want to give props to is Samuel Hanzek from Trenčín, Slovakia, who took a bet on himself to go play in the WHL and has played very well there. He's a six foot four body, and you can definitely see it in any of the highlights that he is featured in over on the Vancouver Canuck, over on the Vancouver Giants pages, over on the Vancouver Giants myriad social media pages, as well as draft highlight packages. He's great at finding open space in order to take decent shots. And hey, being 6'4 means that if you need to, you can drop the hammer. The big knock against him right now is that his skating's a little wonky. You can just kind of see it in the way that he moves. It's not nearly as smooth as other players, and it really does kind of rob him of top speed. He absolutely could probably have in the future if he would just work on it. Other than that, he's every hockey man's dream of a decent 200-foot play. It's just a matter of making sure that he's going and seeing his skating coach every other day. He had 56 points in 43 games in WHL action this year and was ranked 20th overall by EliteProspects.com. Another prospect of note is Matthew Wood from the University of Connecticut system. He came in from the BCHL, which is a double-A junior league. He bet on himself going to American College, and as it turns out, he really thrived there. Helping UConn to one of their best Hockey East finishes in a good long time, they're not a traditional power out there. He's got a gigantic 6'4 frame and is considered one of the best pure goal scorers in this draft, and that's huge for the Kraken, as finish has been a bit of a problem for them. Stuff he's got to work on is, again, skating, though his mechanics are better, it's just... Man, he cannot get the acceleration that he needs. If he had it, he'd probably be in the top five, which is sort of making him a bit of a project. Projected all over the map, Daily Faceoff has him at 20, uh, Elite Prospects has him at 16, and people like Smot Scouting have him down at 31st. So it's all a matter of whether or not you believe your skating staff can help him really find that next level. Wood had 34 points in 35 games for the University of Connecticut. The final prospect I want to highlight is Frolunda's own Otto Stenberg. A bit smaller than the other two, but an excellent skater. An absolute nightmare to defend because he was very smart, very crafty. Excellent playmaker. He attacks inside, cuts in laterally. And 
Man, even for 5'11 guy, he makes himself a nightmare in front of backcheckers. Really, he's kind of good at everything, it's just that he's not great at anything yet. While the good coach might say, well, that just means we can coach him up into whatever we need, the thing is, is that he's so good at all these things at a base level that if you started to take away from those other aspects, you probably would lose something. That said, I really like Stenberg's speed, he's a really good skater, and frankly the rest of it is just experience and ice time. He was nearly a point a game in Sweden's J20 National, and played 23, and played 23 games with the big club as an 18 year old, and remember, these are not kids playing other kids, this is a 17 year old playing against grown ass men. I think if he's given time in Coachella, or with the ECHL Mavericks, he might have a, an opportunity to really improve himself. In the SHL for Forlunda, he had 3 points in 23 games, once again, 17-year-old while he was doing that, and in the J20 National, he had 26 points in 29 games. And that's just a taste of the kind of prospect that we've been seeing so far. It is a very good draft, I think. This is going to be one that I feel people are going to look back on very fondly. I really don't think there is a wrong answer here, so I hope Ron Francis finds his guy. And with that, I think we're done here at Beneath the Frozen Sea. My name is Sky. I hope you've enjoyed this edition of Beneath the Frozen Sea. If you want to see more, you can always go on ahead and subscribe to us on Spotify and wherever else you happen to get podcasts. If you like the content, but not my voice, first of all, rude. But second of all, you can check out DavyJonesLockerRoom.com, where we are still covering the Coachella Valley Firebirds as they make their push for the Calder Cup. And we will have draft content upcoming once the NHL and AHL playoffs finish. My name is Sky once again. Thank you for listening, and go Kraken.